Hey, everybody, it's Preston here. Hey, guys, it's Clay. Before the show starts today, we want to tell you really quickly about this very cool challenge that we have coming up for listeners of Freelance to Founder. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Something we've never done before. Never done it, but man, I feel like there's a huge need for it because we get on these calls with people and one of the most common things we hear from freelancers is how do I build in recurring revenue? How do I get predictable money every month, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a big question that we always, uh, I always get. I know you always get. That's right. And so Clay, you guys know from listening to the show, Clay ran an agency that that crushed it on recurring revenue. I've built a couple of recurring revenue businesses myself, and we want to help you kickstart your own recurring revenue. 2021 is going to be your year for recurring revenue. So we're launching a five-day challenge where you can set up your first productized service. Yeah, and that's going to be five days that we're going to show you how to do it, going to give you a little bit of homework, and hopefully at the end of the five days, you'll have a plan to make uh, hopefully thousands of dollars in monthly recurring revenue. For example, in this challenge, we're going to teach you how to price your service product so that it makes sense to your clients and you can start making money fast. And we're actually going to show you how to make an irresistible monthly offer that your clients cannot resist. There'll be live calls with me and Clay. We're, We're super excited to connect with some of you who maybe are too shy to come on the show and have us highlight your business. These are private live calls with a small group. In fact, we're only letting in like 25 or so freelancers right now. So, I mean, to give you an idea, there are 10,000 people that are going to listen to this episode alone that you're listening to right now. So you don't want to wait. If you want to sign up, you can visit freelancetofounder.com slash challenge and claim your spot right now. All right, guys, we're serious about this. Please don't procrastinate. You will regret it. And like, you want to be a part of the first 25 OG original members of this five-day challenge (laughs) because it's going to be the first 25 that are going to be so ahead of the game. Listeners of Freelance to Founder can save 30% on this challenge with promo code podcast. So again, visit freelancetofounder.com slash challenge. Enter the promo code podcast when you sign up and you'll save 30% right away. They're going to go fast, you guys. Don't wait. (laughs) So many freelancers want to figure this recurring revenue thing out. And genuinely, we just hope you're one of them and that you'll join us for this fun challenge. Uh, Thanks so much for indulging us. And now on to this week's episode of Freelance to Founder. Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. Every week, we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast-famine lifestyle. And build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit freelancetofounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. On today's episode, we chat with Yusuf, who's building his own small product design agency. Yusuf's got a lot going for him. He's got a great cash flow, he's having a great year, and he enjoys the work that he does. But when it comes to the most profitable projects in his business, he's limited to only working on about eight at a time, and that's a big problem. Since Yusuf hasn't built out the infrastructure he needs to scale the most profitable part of his business, he can feel the impending plateau. So Clay and I walk Yusuf through a few ways he can get over this hurdle and keep growing without giving up 100% of the work that he loves to do on a daily basis. If you've ever wondered, how can I scale my business without giving up all of the fun work, then this episode is for you, and we'll get started right after this. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language. Order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Freelance to Founder. I'm here, uh, as always, with my friend Clay Mosley from GetDripify.com. Hey, Clay, how you doing? Hey, good. I always love doing these episodes. So much fun, man. And uh, we are joined today by our friend Yusuf in Washington, D.C. Thanks for calling in, Yusuf. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Happy to be here. Good. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. Uh, We always kick off the episode just a little bit... uh, 
you know, casual telling us about your business, where you're at currently, what kind of services you provide. Can you just give us a quick peek into your business, Yusuf? Sure, sure. So uh, I guess today actually is the fifth year anniversary of me freelancing. Um, and oh, wow. I've, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I started back in about five years ago, uh, Digital Pangea, and we focused on um, e-learning or digital learning and uh, creating uh, as a product designer. So I mainly now I'm doing freelance work for product designers in the um, e-learning space, whether that be building out a virtual reality or um, learning management systems. So kind of uh, that's mainly what I've been doing over the past four or five years. Okay. So when you say product design, just so that all, all of us are on the same page, the listeners as well, we're not talking physical products. We're talking digital design, like UX, UI for digital products. And it sounds like in the e-learning space. Correct. Correct. So I um, many a times I walk the clients through the strategy um, and then well understanding what the problem is and then walking through uh, potential strategies on solving the problems. Um, and from there, I design uh, the problem. And um, many times I also develop. Um, I, I actually started out um, as a programmer and then switched over to design. Uh, it just fits me a little bit better. Okay. Well, this so. should be fun. Like, I think this would be a good change of change of pace. Um, I, a lot of times we get like graphic designers, web designers, um, that type of uh, um, guest on here, which I love. I love. But yeah, this is a good this is a good change of pace here. I like it. Yeah, we've had a couple uh, product designers recently. They I don't know that the episodes have aired yet, but um, it is it's fun to chat through your real problem solvers, um, which. I mean, what, what draws you, I guess, to, to product design and, and what does it look like maybe on a day-to-day basis working? Well, so, okay, you're working full-time, right, as a freelancer? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, find okay. myself uh, working more so part-time on freelance projects and then working part-time on my own, you know, entrepreneur endeavors. Awesome. So uh, so what, what draws you to, I guess, that product design, that kind of work? Sure. Um, so I... I guess when I started out, uh, I don't know, I was like 14, I started, um, my brother wanted to customize some shoes and uh, that's what he was really interested in. And um, so he just told me, hey, you know, Yusuf, I need you to build a website so we can sell these shoes. Uh, so I eventually, you know, after, at that time, they didn't have like YouTube and these e-learning platforms. So, um, you know, I had to crack open a book in and I uh, learned, and I think about a month or two later, uh, some guy in Russia actually bought his first pair of shoes for like three hundred dollars. Uh, so since then, I was <laughs> also on, yeah. So I was uh, hooked on like programming, and I didn't know what design was. I was just honestly copying websites I saw on there, and I just would program them. Um, and then when I got to, after college, um, I, you know, I was still making websites all throughout college, and I was like, man. This process, or whether that be copying or whatever, it's really not, or even using templates, isn't really solving problems, you know, that my, uh, whether uh, the potential clients are needing. So I, you know, surfed the web and I think around that time YouTube um, was coming out and people started putting out um, content around processes. Um, And then I really, you know, deep dived in those and then understood that there was, you know, maybe design is actually what I'm more, you know, curious about. And then I, um, you know, really focused on design and understood what uh, components, how I could use my programming um, background and build uh, prototypes for, you know, clients. And then I'm, you know, kind of uh, set off and I was doing that for quite a while, while maintaining a a full-time job. And then um, I, you know, took the leap and I've, you know, been here for five years. I love it. What year was it that I'm just curious? What year was it that you started uh, learning the programming uh, when you built that shoe website? Uh, that was so. I am 30 right now, 31. So that was when I was freshman. Us, I, I graduated. So it was probably 2004, 2003. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. like, I don't know about you. Like that's. So I'm a little bit. I'm, I'm a little bit older. I'm. I'm. I'm 38, or I'm about to be 38, and. Uh, so I, I learned uh, from a, an actual textbook and a floppy disk. So yeah. like, that's, that's the way I learned how to code. It wasn't no like, you know, watching <laughs> video YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. Like 
that's a legit how I learned how to code. So that's kind of funny. Exactly. That's that's pretty much how it was. And back then they had the uh, the WYSIWYG. So I, I pretty much moved the box left and I saw what program, you know, um, what was it? Dreamweaver back then. Dreamweaver. Yeah. Yeah. I would see what uh, code was created and then I would write it down um, and then I kept on doing certain things like that. And that's how I, you know, taught myself. That's cool. Very, very similar paths. It sounds like the three of us have in how we how we learned web, quote unquote, learned web development. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds great. Um, tell us a little bit about your client base. Like, do you find mostly local clients, Yusuf, or or are they just all around the world? And and how do you find them? Sure. Uh, the majority of my clients, um, I would say, are in my same time zone, East Coast, um, and. And most of the, like, I really don't market myself too much other than I, um, I'm in a bunch of these clothes, whether that be Slack groups or GroupMe, a lot of these digital communities. And I just offer free information. And I find that um, a lot of, you know, I might be in like, um, uh, let's say like a Webflow is a tool that people are using. So I'll just offer free information. A lot of times people just reach out to me. And then once I solve a problem for them, then they're, you know, their friend or someone else. Um, so I would say about 90%, 95% of my work is um, referral based. And uh, also I have, um, you know, from college, I'm in a fraternity. I also get uh, quite a number of uh, people from that as well. Oh, very nice. I love that. Okay, so so um, listeners of the show know that we have this uh, freelancer to founder scale that we have everybody who calls in uh, like Yusuf, which by the way, if you'd like to be on the show, we'd love to have you join us for an episode. Um, you can visit freelance2founder.com where you can fill out our questionnaire and we'll see if you're a good fit to have a coaching call like Yusuf's having today. Um, we'd love to have you as well. But everyone who comes on fills out this questionnaire and part of the questionnaire, among other questions, asks, where are you currently on this scale of one to 10? One being you're a freelancer, 10 being you're a founder, you know, freelancer meaning you do everything yourself in your business, 10 meaning you basically aren't needed to necessarily to move the business forward. It kind of runs on its own. Of course, you're there to strategize and grow, but really the business is chugging along. So Yusuf, you said in your questionnaire um, that you are a, Yusuf, you said that you are a four on the freelance to founder scale and that within six to 12 months, you'd like to be a nine. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so tell us why you put yourself at a four currently, and then we'll dive into the rest in a sec. Sure. So I've, uh, over the last year, 12 months, um, I've been working more as a, um, a product manager or CTO for a lot of times I, there are early states from startups that I work with, and uh, many times they don't have a um, technical founder, and they hire me to contract work. Um, and a lot of times earlier, I do that. And then, you know, once they, whether they get a round of funding, then I subcontract the work um, under my company. And then I still remain as a consultant for that company. So um, I am doing more, I'm moving into the direction that I want to is more so just consulting um, for individuals uh, as a technologist. And then being able to still, as well as if a company wants to build a product or a service, I'm kind of, especially with, uh, you know, COVID, a lot of my clients are now transferring to uh, like digital transformation. So they're trying right, to bring yeah. their business online. Um, so I try to support them that way uh, for consulting and then also developing whatever type of solution that they might need for the business. Okay, I love that. And so what what would you say are maybe some roadblocks that you're facing from, you know, in the next six to 12 months that Clay and I could help you with? Something that's keeping you from going from a four to a nine? Sure. Um, identifying how to build uh, the retainer relationships. Um, I've have had some successful retainers. Uh, I just want more of them. So I I, I want to understand how uh, you know, the retainers that I had before are referral. Um, although they worked um, financially well, I don't think it was best as far as from a relationship standpoint. Um, so I really would like to um, market uh, myself for retainers, whether that be 
going out and finding the um, you know retainers I'm looking for. I've created a list of let's say a hundred um, folks that I could potentially reach out to, or you know that I kind of find attractive. I think one of the biggest things, the reasons why I wanted to be a freelancer is more so being able to pick the projects that I wanted to work on. Um, and I find myself oftentimes I really don't have to um, a problem with getting clients, but not the clients that really fit, fit with, uh, you know, what I'm interested in. Okay. I love that. So we, it sounds like we're going to start off with two pretty common issues that we hear about. So maybe we can blaze through these, but that is, and Clay, correct me if you know you heard something different, or Yusuf, if I'm wrong. But it sounds like you want to talk about um, how do I go from referral-only business to actually marketing myself, mm-hmm. and then also how do I go from one-off projects to recurring repeat retainer clients? Um, and then one we haven't talked about as much, which I think is is kind of interesting, is that third issue, which is. Uh, how do I find clients that match what I really want to be doing instead of just taking whoever I get referred, whoever gets referred to me or whatever comes along? How do I take the projects and find the projects and pitch for projects that I actually really love? Clay, what do you want to tackle first? Mm, yeah, those are like three loaded questions that I swear we can spend an entire <laughs> episode on, on every, on each one of those. Uh, we will try not to though. Um, okay. So I just want to get some clarification, Yusuf. Um, so you said like, you want to get some more retainer clients. Um, and, but you, you said you're also like doing some work like, uh, that are more of the one-offs. Like, so the way you phrased it was, um, you would like to get more retainer ones, but the, instead of working with the, the other ones that are ones that you, I'm not exactly quoting you, but the ones that you um, don't exactly want to continue doing the work. Is that kind of what you said? Yeah, I, I, I find that I run into a bandwidth issue. So I take on clients, you know, to, um, you know, just make sure I'm, you know, eating, um, you know, staying in the green. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, and then I try to add scheduling in. So I try to schedule, you know, two, three months out. Um, but the issue is, is I am not marking myself. So I only receive clients based off of whatever their, you know, solution is. So it's kind of stop, stopping, um, you know, receiving these referrals and kind of actually shifting towards more of a marketing and pitching for, uh, potential clients that I feel that, um, you know, it's something that I want to do. Gotcha. Uh, one more, one more question. These kind of one-off projects, like, are these projects that you actually enjoy like doing or like, but you just wish they were retainer clients or do you just like actually hate doing these things? (laughs) So it, I enjoy doing the, I enjoy helping businesses, whatever the problem is, um, through the strategy section. But as far as, you know, pixel pushing or programming, I do not want to do that for something that is, um, I I normally see that as tedious if it's not something that's of interest to me or, you know, the solution's not. So that's where I saw where subcontracting that type of workout would work well. Um, But I really need to also focus on figuring out how to market myself um, better. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming a retainer client would be more of like a high level premium client for you. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my, my kind of my take on this, the reason I'm asking these questions is because um, my take on retainer clients is that uh, those are typically from my experience and other people might have different experience, but from my experience, a, a monthly retainer client, that's like high level that pays you the most money um, are typically brought to you either by referral, right? Which is what you've been doing. Um, or they've been, uh, coming to you through the pipeline. So what I mean by that is, is that they hired you. So a potential client or a client, uh, hires you to do like this one-off, you know, lower level project. Um, and then they eventually, uh, go down the line and they become a retainer client that way. And so mm-hmm. the reason I was asking is like, if you actually enjoy those, those types of projects or those clients, or if you just wish they were a retainer is because I think that might be kind of an entry 
level place for to to bring in new clients, but to eventually convert those people into retainers. And so I don't know, like, I don't know where you're getting your retainer clients right now. Like, are they, uh, are they becoming like, are these people, um, brand new? Like, are they, are, are they brand new, like introduced to you for the first time and then they become a retainer client or did they, did you do something for them one off that's kind of smaller um, and then they eventually became a retainer client. Like which what which one of those is more true? Sure. So I would say I've worked with them in some capacity. Uh, oftentimes, I um, you know, let's say there might be a low hanging fruit, uh, and I'll just do a general consulting with uh, someone. I, I'm working with a company now um, that uh, you know is for deals in with women's health. And a year, or maybe a year or two ago, I they reached out to me and I was just providing them free information. I didn't think it was a good fit um, based off of what they were looking for. It was like a low hanging fruit. So I, you know, um, subcon or I didn't subcontracting. I gave them the referral to someone else. Uh, so when the time that they wanted to have something a lot larger, uh, because our conversation um, and how I maybe presented myself, they reached out to me and said, "Hey, this is a you know a project that we think um, someone that's you know more um, that has level experience. We want to work with you." So generally, that's how um, I you know receive. I always have, uh, let people have free office hours on Tuesdays. I allow people to you know jump on, ask any questions that they might have. And oftentimes the first engagement um, is just me providing, you know, information. And then whether that be a year or two down the line, um, that's, you know, normally they come back and, uh, you know, we, we partner on, on a project. Okay. So like when you say you, you subcontract that low hanging fruit stuff out, like, are you, are, are you like still in charge of it? Are you still the client contact at that point? Or do you, or, or is that just a straight up referral? Mm -hmm. To someone else. Yeah. For this instance, it was straight up referral. So the only time okay. I subcontract projects or if they're a large and I'm not able to do, well, not saying I'm not able to, it just makes more sense for me to subcontract. I do use um, uh, kind of one of the areas that I uh, feel like I'm going to, my, one of my strengths are. Uh, so kind of when I mentioned earlier is how I join these communities and kind of pour in them. And then a lot of times I get referrals based off of that. That's also how I find subcontractors. I go to uh, like Stack Overflow and I see who has provided the most um, uh, answers or, you know, for free because all it's just a free community um, helping each other out. And I subcontract them um, that way. So I have a good um, pool of subcontractors um, and, you know, number of different uh, areas. So I want to do a lot more subcontracting, um, but I, I kind of like the overall model that I'm having right now, but it's just more so I'm not marketing myself to, you know, proper clients that really push me and, um, you know, make me more of a uh, an agency. Okay. So yeah. let's, let's clarify really quick the term subcontracting, because I'm, I'm not sure we're all using it the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that that was my next question. <laughs> so 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 a sub so a subcontractor typically, at least in my experience, is someone who you're paying to do work for you that you then pass along to the client, right? So you're still the the touch point with the client. It's still kind of the work is kind of done under your name or your brand, whether it's your agency yes. or your own freelance work. Is that how you're using subcontracting here? Or is this a referral, like you said, and you're just collecting like a referral fee for passing them off to a different freelancer? You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane, effective home workout. That's because Hydro 
compares the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's gonna wanna take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. Correct. So I... Subcontracting is when I am the main point of contact okay. for the contractor. I do generally, and when I say low-hanging fruit, I always refer that out to someone. I only subcontract clients that are for retainer clients. Oh, I see. So if, but it's only part of it. So um, one of my last, I guess, larger retainers, we built a uh, virtual reality training simulator. So I subcontract out some of the, I don't know how to program in C++, so I subcontract that, um, that aspect out to a third party, but I was still the point of contact for the client. Okay, but you're not doing that on the smaller one-off projects? No, I'm not doing that. On that. The if it's, retainer. Correct. If it's a smaller, well, what I consider smaller... Um, Anything that's like between ten to twenty thousand is smaller for me, um, right. so I'll do that myself. But anything that's longer, that's a retainer that it's going to take, let's say, um, you know, three to well, not even three, like five to you know, a year timeline. That's more so something a lot more um, robust, and I do subcontract work to other people. Okay, but what jobs do you send to a referral? Like, and are we using referral sure. the same way? Like when you just yeah, so, hand off a job and they pay you like 10% or something? Well, I, I generally just give them, you know, I just refer them and I, I'm not really concerned about uh, just it's goodwill. Uh, so okay. it to me, referral all depends based off of the cost that a person, the budget. If what they're looking for is something that I could be doing something of the same level, um, then I will just refer that to someone else. Got it. So those are clients that you don't want. Yes, because of budget. Correct. Okay. Okay. So th I think for this conversation, those are probably moot, right? Like we, we, I don't know if we really need to talk through those. I think you could potentially find a small revenue source there. The goodwill is also a good idea, but I think for this conversation, we need to focus on the smaller jobs that you do yourself, mm -hmm. uh, versus the jobs that are bigger and have a longer timeline and that you subcontract out, but still remain the point of contact for the client, right? Yes. That's what I would like more. Okay. Awesome. So now, now that we've gotten to that point, I think yeah. where Clay, maybe I think where Clay maybe was, was going with it is that in a way you have a funnel already set up, right? And yep. so instead of skipping over the funnel and Clay, I'll let you go run with this a little bit more if this is where you were headed, but instead of skipping that funnel, and trying to just market and get retainer clients, instead warm them up through that funnel process. Do do a one-off project for them, you know, make them really happy, build a relationship, and then pitch to your existing clients, pitch uh, a retainer agreement or an ongoing relationship instead of trying to do that, 
you know, as a cold pitch. Is that kind of where you were headed, Clay? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, you with your okay, so it's this is interesting because usually, like, the way you're explaining it, it works kind of lo- like backwards, um, uh, than what I'm used to hearing because, like, you subcontract out on the retainer stuff, uh, because of a skill set, right? You don't have a skill set that needs to be done, so you subcontract that out, correct? Um, yeah, so but the but the quote unquote, smaller jobs, like you do yourself, right? Um, so do you generate like where, I, so the real question is where do you generate the most profit? On subcontracting retainer out. Okay. So, uh, based off all of this information, this is what I would do. And Preston might have some feedback on this, um, after, you know, here in a second, but Um, What I would do is I would try to figure out how to, how to, um, I I would do two things. One is I would try to figure out like how to subcontract out the smaller stuff. Um, I know that you've been doing those yourself. Um, However, if you make more money on the retainer stuff, now I realize this is going to happen over time, right? You can't just flip a switch. Um, But I would try to figure out how to subcontract out the smaller stuff um, and then spend more of your time doing two things. One is spending your time on the retainer clients and two, uh, spending your time on marketing and sales strategies to try to fill in the, the funnel with the smaller projects that could potentially turn into retainer. That's what I would do because like, I think, I think you're, you need to think about what you're doing with your time. And, and if, if, uh, well, I guess a good question is how much of your time is spent on smaller stuff versus retainer right now? Just give me a ballpark percentage. Uh, I would say maybe like 60% of my time is spent on smaller. Uh, Okay. Yeah, so like you're doing a 60/40, so you're spending the majority of your time on smaller stuff which is which produces the least amount of profit. Um and so like that needs to be flipped. That needs to be flipped. Um yeah. more so I those that even needs to be a bigger percentage, right? I would even do like uh like an 80/20 where you spend an 80% of your time on the bigger stuff, 20% of your time on the smaller stuff and that's when I say 20% of your time on the smaller stuff, I mean like managing the project, uh, you know, client, like managing subcontractors, uh, communicating with the client and things like that. So I think if you just do that and then also focus on like how, like increasing your marketing and sales strategies, like that would, I think over time, um, that would be a considerable difference. Uh, I, 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 did, I did think about that. The, challenges is when I when I'm considering small if I do it myself I'm not um it not only keeps me busy but it also I'm recouping all of the funds the reason why that the larger retainers are uh, more profitable is because I can outsource um parts of those to let's say offshore um developers and because I can overlook the code make sure it's clean you know, it's easier for me to that way. So that's why it's really important for me to, like, as you said, is, you know, flipping them. Um, but I don't, wouldn't see any, it's, I would not subcontract these smaller stuff out. Why, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why? Because it just would be, I'm not, personally, I'm not really a good manager of people. So it just, um, when I feel like when you're dealing with a person with a or clients that have smaller budgets, they are more um, needy, for lack of better words. So I'm. It's easier for me to do what they're looking for because I had that communication with them, and I'm already. Uh, you know, I understand if I want to make any um, adjustments, I'm able to talk that through. Uh, but when I subcontract work out, if it's a smaller level, then that's. Not only is it a lot less money that I'll be able to generate, um, but it also is a lot of back and forth that, to me, is not worth it. Okay, so I, I think this is a I, this is a very common issue um, amongst all businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a mindset issue 
So the, and what I mean by this, uh, a mindset issue is um, this particular one is letting go of control, letting go of control. And I 100% get that if you subcontract this, the smaller stuff out, yeah, you got to pay some of that revenue to, to the subcontractor. I get it. You're going to lose some money there. However, what it does is it frees up your time to be spending on stuff that is more profitable and mm-hmm. where you can generate more revenue. And so like, this is a, this is a common mindset issue of like, oh, what happens if like, um, so like think of two different scenarios, right? So the, the scenarios of if one is do like if you subcontract or if you don't subcontract, right? So the, the problem is that people default to the, uh, the, the idea of like, what, what if I don't like, like, I don't need to let this go. Right. And so, but what if you just shifted your mindset? Right. So I want you to think about for a second that you pretend that you already made the decision of subcontracting that out. Right. Pretend you already made that decision. What does, what do you think that would do to your business? Like over time, like I get, I, I understand that you can't just flip a switch and and have do this overnight. Um, but like, imagine if you were already there and someone was able to do all that so that work subcontracted, right? And and you're able to manage the the client and stuff, and but you're you're able to spend your time on these retainer clients and assume just assume you have enough retainer clients to keep you busy. Like, imagine that that scenario, like that would be more profitable, correct? Yes. So. Mm-hmm. My next question is, why wouldn't you want that? Um, well, going back to why I said I wanted to uh, freelance. So the small projects, I do find enjoyment of helping or doing them um, myself. And that's why I was saying that I would like to have the, in you know, in the scenario that you're providing, it would work great if those if the retainer clients that I do have, those would be projects I also want to work more on my for myself. So I'm doing a lot more strategy and things like that. Uh, I think that is the, um, I, you know, part of the reason why I wasn't a good employee because I, I take ownership, and you kind of mentioned it that uh, uh, kind of control. Um, so I find that the smaller projects that I do accept. Those are projects that um, not, I'm not necessarily, I mean, they definitely pay well or, you know, um, solid, but I normally do those because I actually have interest in them. And, and some of those, or at least the retainer clients that I do have um, currently, a lot of those happen because I was did the small project myself and then it built into a retainer client. Okay, here's, here's, what I, here's how I'm seeing it from where I'm sitting. Uh, the, the hard reality sometimes for a lot of freelancers, particularly who do creative work, problem solving work like you do, Yusuf, uh, is that you don't want, like Clay said, there's that mindset issue. You don't want to let that go. But, but Mm -hmm. even, but in addition to that, there's the mindset you said earlier on in the episode, uh, I'm not much of a manager. I'm not much of a, I don't enjoy managing or I'm not good at managing something like that. Right. So there's those two issues combined are actually what's going to hold you back if I had to predict. Um, if you stayed yeah. on the same course. So so mm-hmm. feeling like you have to do all the projects, taking ownership doesn't mean you have to do the work, right? Taking ownership is a great leadership quality, but it doesn't mean that you have to actually put in all the work. You can oversee the work. You can make sure that it's high quality. You can do the same thing that you're doing for your retainer clients. You can do on a smaller scale, to still satisfy customers and then upgrade them to retainer clients. So I think, I think um, it's it's actually if I had to guess, if I'm if I'm trying to read your mind or meet, read your subconscious right now, it's actually less about uh, control and more about your fear of like managing people. But but what it's gonna take to to run an agency is you to become a manager of people or to hire someone who's a manager of people. You can't run an agency without being good at managing people. It just can't happen. So, you know, 
the, the classic, I feel like I'm kicking a dead horse. The, the example I always give is from uh, the E-Myth Revisited, a book. And it talks about a baker who just loves baking bread. So he starts a bakery, but he can't run a bakery because he's really just, he just loves baking bread. And those are two different skill sets. And so you love working on these smaller projects. Uh, but really what your, what your goal is, is to run an agency. And those are, are intrinsically at odds right now. And so you have to decide, mm-hmm. am I going to hire to have someone else help me run an agency while I stay in the creative work? Or am I going to give up some of that creative work and some of that ownership and some of that control, like Clay was saying, uh, so that I can assume the role of then managing people and managing a company and building strategy and being essentially yeah. the CEO? Yep. Yeah, I, I think uh, definitely hear you. And I, I think it actually made me think about what the problem is. And I think what the problem is, is the work I do subcontract now, I know that these people are what I would consider experts. I They are better at their job than me. And I think the work that I are, you know, the low hanging fruit or the, you know, the smaller things I do myself all of the people I could subcontract to, or at least my network, um, I need to, I, I don't feel as confident that they would be able to do the work maybe yeah. at the caliber I would like. But you so know what? I those people, would, those mm-hmm. people you said, they exist. There are mm-hmm. people who can do it better than you. We say this all the time yeah. in these coaching calls. There are actually people that you could find that could do it better than you can. Yes. It's hard to accept that, right? Because you're talented, you you believe in yourself, you believe in your work, and you enjoy the work. So it's hard to say, like, I'm going to let someone else take this on. But in reality, there are millions, there are billions of people in the world. There are millions of freelancers in the world. There are probably Mm -hmm. millions or at least hundreds of thousands of people who do what you do specifically. There's got to be someone as good or better than you at the job. You just have to find them and figure out how they fit into your business model. Or you can do if, if you want to scale up. Or you can do what Preston said: uh, stick with the work and find somebody to yeah. to be the people person, right? Yeah. I think that's a, a that's actually a really good point. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. However, I think that is a very difficult thing for many people to accept, especially when they started the company. Um, and so, most people who start a company, they want to be the quote unquote CEO, right? Um, when in reality, they're probably better off being the CTO or the or the chief creative officer or something, and then and then hiring someone to be that CEO role. Um, that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to accept. Yeah, definitely. And I, I I really do think it probably comes down to me actually putting the time in and um, building my network as far as uh, folks that I could subcontract that are more. Um, uh, you know, to, on my level, at least that they're doing the same, whether it be product design. Uh, I don't think I probably have done the better, best job I could do as far as networking, as far as that uh, side. I generally network with folks that, um, and, you know, to subcontract things that I um, don't have the skill set to do. Yeah. And that's, that's easy to do because you're not as close to the work, meaning you, you're not as picky about it because you don't know what the best in the industry looks like. Mm-hmm. Whereas what you, the stuff you're really good at, you can be extra picky. And so it's actually harder to find those people, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, well, I could do that better. And yeah, maybe you could. And actually I'd even dare say you don't have to find someone better than you, although they do exist. I think you could find someone who's 80% as good as you or 90% as good as you. And then together as a team, you can deliver a superior product to what you're delivering now. Yeah, that's a good um, point. I just, I just think there's lots of other options besides you doing all the work. That's you doing all the work, unless you hire someone else to run the business, is going to make it impossible for you to scale. Like no agency owner does, does mm-hmm. the the day to day work. They run the business day to day. That's their job. They're an entrepreneur. Yeah, definitely. Human capital is the most valuable thing in a business. Absolutely. If you want, if you want to scale it, and like. And there's a lot of people who don't like who don't want to. And I 100 uh, percent understand the idea of not wanting to have a team and not having to like hire a bunch of 
contractors or employees because like you, you know Preston knows this like that can be a real pain in the butt um, managing people and so there's nothing wrong with going like being by yourself it's just you gotta at that point you gotta accept the fact that the the amount of scalability is finite like you can only go so far by yourself yeah definitely I I, I think um, so I mentioned earlier the project or I guess this last year has been my most profitable and it's because I have been doing a lot more um, retainer clients and uh, people have or clients have been paying me for consulting whether that be um, just general technology consulting or you know roadmaps things like that and then I subcontract the deliverable so they'll pay me personally on an hourly basis and then um, I will write the RFP for the company and then we'll send it out to uh, folks. And then also my company um, would then submit a, uh, um, a proposal for it. And that is somewhat double dipping and that's been working you know, great for me. Um, so I kind of would like if I do, if I am to scale, I think that type of business um, structure works ideal for kind of my skill set. Because uh, I do manage, but I like to allow people to have the autonomy to do what they, um, mm-hmm. you know, if they're you know good, they're at good at something, you know, exactly. Yeah, and you know, I it seems pretty clear to me. Particularly, these smaller projects feel like gateway projects to what you really want as to have as a client. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's just becoming more and more clear to me that that if you can subcontract those smaller projects out. You'll be able to do more of them so you can recoup some of the cost that you'll lose in paying subcontractors. Yep. But but then you can focus on this this retainer piece that you want to build anyway. But then you still retain the small projects as almost like a really expensive lead magnet, right? You're this is like a you're you're getting them pretty far down into the funnel, but they're not quite to the point where they're paying you a retainer month to month. Yeah. Um it's it, I mean it's a good place to be in. It's a good place to be. And I think you yeah. just got to figure out the relationship there between you and subcontractor. Yeah. Hmm. That is, it, so by doing, just agreeing with Preston, I mean, think about it, like, so just real quick, how many projects can you, ha- the smaller projects, how many projects can you handle by yourself on a monthly basis? I usually only do eight small projects a year. So about six weeks per project. Okay, so... So less than less than one small project a month, right? So so think about this. Like that's all you can handle by yourself. And if those smaller projects are what leads you to retainer projects, which I would be willing to bet, uh, then you are limiting your pipeline to eight people mm. a year. Oh, yeah. Yes. You are bottlenecking yourself, not only in your pipeline, but you're also bottlenecking yourself on how much time you can spend on those more profitable retainer clients. Yeah, you're. you're yeah. I, I would say you're screwing yourself on both sides, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't look at it that way. Yeah. So, like, there, it's just impossible. It's impossible to fill to to. It doesn't matter how many. Like at this point, like it doesn't matter how many marketing strategies or sales strategies that you increase or whatever. Like the reality is, is that if you continue to have this mindset that I'm that you are going to do every single small project, that that number is still eight a year. Mm-hmm. That's it. So like you're, you're just you're bottlenecking yourself for sure. Yeah, super smart. It's a good way to think about that. Yusef, what's resonating what uh, what questions are still open-ended here that we need to tie up? We have maybe five or six minutes left in this call. We want to make sure we get in everything that you wanted to, to cover. What's what's left? Well, honestly, the, the bottleneck is, you know, brings a lot of clarity. You know, I'm definitely analytical, you know, eight, eight people. And then that means I have to convert on all those eight or, you know, uh, that mm. percentage is, you know, not very good. So um, mm-hmm. I definitely... Seeing it that way, I definitely need to subcontract a lot more work um, because I don't even, really like those odds. Even if you convert those eight people a year, like, <laughs> yeah. do, you have, do you have time to even do it? Like, because you're spending all your time do it, like managing those or doing those eight projects a year. So, like, that's that's where it's like that's why I said you're screwing yourself on both sides. It's like definitely. You know I mean? um, yeah. So, I guess one of the uh, last aspects I wanted to talk about 
so part of the reason why I was doing some of those small uh, projects, those mainly are startups. Um, so they bring me in uh, to you know build out the project or products. A lot of times they don't have the um, type of money. So I, I sent um, what I ideally would like to do. Uh, I never really wanted to, um, well, I guess maybe five years ago, I wanted to run an agency, but I would really like to use the agency to be more of like a tech arm um, for these different startups that I work with, whether that be I, you know, um, put out myself or the companies that I'm, you know, working with that really don't have a technical founder or even sometimes, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, there are some franchisees that I've uh, worked with in the past that they need a, um, a entity that just handles all their tech. Um, so that's ideally where I would like to move. Um, and that's why it's really important for me to get these retainers. So, uh, the majority, what I, I kind of see myself as the majority of the projects my agency will take on are um, projects that I'm working on as far as, let's say, a startup. And we hire the uh, Digital Pangea to be the technical arm and you know build out the products. Um, so I just want to see once I get to a scaling um, point for the agency, where where do you think I can move forward so I can kind of actually take another step back from the company, um, the agency, and then kind of work more as a like a knowledge broker uh, or a bridge to connect um, founders with my uh, digital agency that can build out products? Because, you know, I, I, I save a lot of money by doing overseas. That's why I said it's um, a lot more pro- profitable using overseas developers. You know, sometimes I'm up at, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning, just corresponding with them uh, to make sure products are working, um, you know, are building out. And I really feel like that is probably my, um, the best way for me to generate, you know, the type of uh, income I would like. For me, it, it in, you know, given what we've already talked about, today for me it seems clear that uh you know that bottleneck issue applies here as well Mm -hmm. so if if you are only taking on eight small projects then that means you can you know i don't know how well those convert let's say they convert at 50 percent, which would be amazing so then you get four retainer clients a year but but then um how many of those like you said are small businesses that need a tech arm or need need that kind of solution Instead, instead of like waiting and seeing and hoping the small projects that you take on should be more of those kinds of clients. And then they just climb that ladder. They do a small project, they become a retainer client, and then they become, I guess, like a super retainer client where they hire you as the tech arm of their company. Um, but but if, if they're not pre-qualified in the beginning, then they're not going to be a good fit later. And so... Now you need to dedicate even more time to finding those right projects. So now you have even less time to, to spend on those smaller projects because you need to be spending your time finding the right people to pitch projects to. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think by, I think by accident, you, you uh, have like on paper, you have like these three levels that where one of them is low level. The second one's mid level. The third one's like the super ultra level. Um, and like all businesses need to do that on purpose. Yeah, that, and I, that's great actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that's really good. That's really good that you have this. Like most businesses don't, they don't have it at all. Uh, you have it. I don't think you did it on purpose. Um, it, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, which is good. And so like, I think I, I, I like the idea that, you know, what that third ultra high level is. And so, I think agreeing with Preston, you first need to figure out your your bottleneck issue on the lower level uh, mm-hmm. parts of your funnel because you need to figure out how can I get uh, the first question is uh, how can I get more people into the low hanging fruit product or uh, projects right more than eight people a year um, and then the next question is going to be okay. Well, how can I get more retainer clients, that, which is your mid-level? And then at that point, I would worry about how to get people on that third tier. 
Um, but you just got to you got to think about time, though, man, like scalability, the, the ability to scale is just it's it's time and, and how how much time capacity that you have uh, as a whole in human capital. And right now, uh, that's mostly you. And so that's what's messing you up right now. It feels to me like your business has the cash flow to make it happen too. Like you're in a really, really good place, Yusuf. A lot of freelancers would be en- envious of a yeah. business that's run mostly on referrals that gets in what we're calling small projects. But let's remind listeners, these are ten to $20,000 projects. I mean, if you're getting eight of those a year, that's that's you know eighty to one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year in in projects. Like plenty of freelancers would be happy with just that business. I love that you're reaching higher. That you want more than that. But I think you do have the cash flow probably to to hire some people, um, and, and you know make some strategic decisions about growth in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I think it could really take off. Yeah, I want to say this one point. Um, and Yusuf, you don't have to say anything here because I th- I know this is like this could be like these are more personal kind of questions. But I, I the reason I want to say this is because like there's some listeners that do fit the situations the, who like companies who have lots of cash flow, um, but they have scale scaling problems, right? And I see this all the time where let's just say someone has two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year cash flow. Um, but they pay themselves $150,000 a year, right? Or $200,000 a year. Mm. Um, Like they pay themselves personally. Um, And then they're living like this extravagant lifestyle where they got the really nice car, the really nice house and stuff like that. But then they, but then on the other side, they go, well, I don't know how to scale past $250,000 in revenue. Well, the fact is, is you're paying yourself too much. Um, Scale scale back how much you're paying yourself and take that money and reinvest it mm. into the company, into people that can help you scale the company even more. Yeah. So a lot of people don't like a lot of people fit that situation. I have no idea if you fit that situation, um, but I just wanted to make a kind of a blanket statement there that if that is the situation, like that's what I would do. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm more so that. I've realized maybe about two to three years in that uh, I wasn't, I did not like working on other people's um, some uh, some of these problems that I came or you know as far as technology, you know I just did not like working or I found more enjoyment working on problems I've identified or that um, that are just more I'm just more passionate about and that's more so where I'm at. Um, I definitely have, you know, you did mention it, definitely did get lucky when, um, you know, figuring out the, the third tier of where I wanted to go with mm-hmm. it. I, uh, I, you know, was working on some projects that I just, um, you know, they were saying, hey, we needed this type of development. I couldn't do it myself. So I got lucky and, and figured out how to uh, outsource um, at a low cost, uh, you know, different developers and, um, you know, uh, graphic artists and things like that. So. Um, but I, I definitely agree with bottlenecking um, eight clients is not enough. Um, and maybe I can even referral, um, refer some of those uh, to other people, maybe even do or not refer. Excuse me. I will subcontract um, yeah. some of those, you know, those to some people. Um, and I think that would definitely increase if I can go from eight to I don't know, um, you know, even up to, let's say, double it to 16. I, I, you know, that would be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. In theory, you'd double the business all the way up the funnel. If it's already working, then in theory, it would double all the way up. Right. So, and then, and then on top of that, you improve the rest, the the remaining portions of your funnel, you just get better and better. I mean, I think this is poised to really take off. So with some smart decisions and Mm -hmm. like Clay said, letting go of some of that control, hiring the right people, I think, I think you're really in a good spot. This has been an eye-opening conversation, I think, for me. Uh, sounds like for you too, Yusuf. And um, glad that glad that we have Clay here. <laughs> to open you, know, it, you know, it's been eye-opening for me too, right? Because I still struggle with this, honestly. Um, I, I, it's it's something easier for me at this point to get to get past it because I've been through the hurdles like several times. But like, it doesn't matter. Everybody still suffers from this. Yeah, for sure. Wanting to control everything, wanting to be involved in everything. And yeah. you know what? There's nothing wrong with wanting to enjoy the work that you do. Like that's why a lot of us are working for ourselves is so that we enjoy what we do on a day-to-day basis. So I appreciate you both being here. 
Uh, Yusuf, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for jumping on the call with us today. Thank you. I've had a lot of fun and I've learned a lot. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify, visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of the Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can catch past episodes at freelancetofounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time, see ya. See ya.